0: Welcome to Dream Talk Radio. This is Anne Hill, your host, and today I feel very privileged to be talking with Dr. Sam Kimballs, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, and the immediate past president of the San Francisco Jung Institute. Dr. Kimballs has practiced, consulted, and taught for many years at all levels, and he participates in an ongoing peer consultation and experiential group process focused on shamanism, creative spiritual expression, and analytical psychology. In addition, Sam Kimbles has an ongoing consultation practice to groups and offers training and learning about the unconscious through group work. Uh, In Santa Rosa is your main office, right, Sam? But do you practice also in San Francisco?
1: I have an office in both Santa Rosa and San Francisco, right? So some of the consultation is... San Francisco, some Santa Rosa, but the greater Bay Area, and, and of course outside too. Yeah.
0: Well, it, I'm I'm really happy we could set this time up. I um, want to talk to you about your upcoming workshop on Jung's psychospiritual mm-hmm. crisis and the emergence of the Red Book, and maybe you can set this um, this workshop in a sort of a personal context for us. What what is what is your interest in working on this material, presenting it to others?
1: Well, it's uh, very interesting. The, um, uh, those of us in the Jungian community have actually known about the existence of the Red Book for quite some time. It was a uh, book uh, that uh, sat in Jung's uh, family home for many years. And um, uh, part of that was uh, at Jung's request, and part of it was the family not knowing quite what to do with it. Uh, but when I was uh, first in um, analysis one of the processes that seemed to uh, just come right into some sort of uh, personal place that I could make use of very quickly and easily was uh, working with uh, I- uh, images and fantasies as well as dreams and that sort of non-rational aspect of the um, of the psyche. and uh, over the years uh, I, of doing that I decided at some point that it would be useful to go to Zurich and study at the Jung Institute, which I did for a year with uh, Sarah, who will be participating Mm -hmm. in this particular workshop. Um, But then came back to Northern California. I had moved up from uh, uh, Los Angeles and got into my regular clinical practice. And over the years, a lot of um, uh, my work became pretty much in the trenches with people who were really suffering the um, slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, but just <laughs> life itself. And uh, some, I, I maintained uh, an analytic attitude and continued my analytic work uh, up here, but uh, there was a certain kind of uh, magic and spirit related to um, Jung's core fantasy and... Um, interpretation of the psyche that got into the background.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So when the Red Book was uh, published, I was excited. I was not quite sure what I was excited about, (laughs) except to see finally something that had been uh, closeted for so many years. And... um, uh, and to my surprise, I uh, the, the book was much larger than I had uh, imagined, much heavier. And I remember the first night uh, picking it up at a dinner meeting, and uh, a bunch of us was trying to carry this thing to our car. We were parked <laughs> away. We didn't know what we had. So uh, so the. Uh, 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 getting the Red Book and opening it up, I felt some of the consternation and surprise that many people have felt mm-hmm. in opening up the Red Book. I didn't quite know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of how do you enter a book of this sort of magnitude, just, uh, just physically, but uh, uh, psychologically, given all the calligraphy and all the paintings and the different parts and so forth and so on. It just was like just too much.
0: Yeah, it looks like a page out of Tolkien, a Tolkien manuscript with... Yeah. A- calligraphy
1: and yeah, yes, that kind of a, that kind of a thing. and uh, but I decided to take it up and um, uh, to begin my own reading and Sonu Misani, who had uh, did, uh, did most of the editing of the book, had really recommended that people not try to teach it or talk about it mm-hmm. for a year or give themselves a chance to sort of uh, sink into it and mm-hmm. get to know it. Um, but I found a natural way to enter the book, uh, which was, um, uh, not surprisingly, to pick up a kind of a magical um, relationship to the psyche through uh, a renewed interest in images and fantasies mm. and visions. i always done work with dreams. And um, that led me right to, to active imagination. Yeah. So... Uh, the core of the work that Jung does in and shares with us in the Red Book is his work in Active Imagination, which yeah. we can talk some more about as we, as yes. we go along. And um, So it was really that connection that really allowed me to get into the Red Book, to reconnect with Jung, and to my uh, surprise, uh, it really opened up for me uh, um, Again, this vast, vast world is sort of like uh, revisiting a, um, a dimension and a world that I, I visited, but I have sort of mm. forgotten it was mm-hmm. the magnitude of it, the breadth, the depth mm-hmm. of it. But here I was, again, standing in this particular mm-hmm. world. And it's been ex- extremely interesting and exciting mm-hmm. and creative. And uh, my dreams have come back and somehow wow. has... Um, uh, Ryoki once said, I feel like see more deeply into things mm. at oh, this particular time,
0: yeah. Wow. Well, so for people who don't really know the provenance of the Red Book, maybe, uh, as far as I understand, it, he created it, and we don't have to go into this too much, but okay. Jung wrote it sometime between uh, after splitting with Freud and right before the onset of World War One. is that right?
1: Yeah, one of the uh, wonderful, uh, one of the the problems that the family confronted with the Red Book and when they moved it from being sort of there in the home passively to considering uh, what to do with it and Mm -hmm. ultimately to publishing it was uh, they were aware uh, that the book came out of a very specific time period, not just for Jung, but in the culture itself. And so the question was, how do you do it? How do you make a document a, uh, um, available to the, 100 years later, to the modern mind right. um, in such a way that they could uh, make use of it? And um, uh, so what Sonu was able to do was actually to structure a way to locate the writings. In its historical context, mm. as, as well as his personal context of Jung's life, and um, uh, in a way that we could begin to sort of make a link to it, both in the past as well as bring it forward to the present. Yeah. So the uh, the the, uh, the period of time that you are referring to was, uh, 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 you know, to just as before getting to that period yeah. of time, there is a. Um, there's a whole story of Jung's life, which is mostly in memory, dreams, and reflection that preceded the publication of the Red Book, of course, uh. but also preceded his, uh, his um, getting in touch and working with Freud and the Berksholzli Clinic in Zurich and uh, teaching and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. all of which was very, very important to him. But if your listeners would like to get a little bit more of the blood... Mm-hmm. Of Jung, the living blood of Jung, then to just pay attention to his early childhood. This uh-huh. was a uh, Jung was a young man, a child uh, who had uh, an ongoing relationship with the unconscious dimensions of life, and uh, especially through his identification with his mother unconscious. He he was aware that she had two sides of herself. He mm-hmm. n- later named. His own size, part one, number one, number two. And one lived in eternity, one lived in the world. And later on in the Red Book, we get his talking about the spirits of the depths, the spirit of the time. So Mm -hmm. it goes all the way through, Mm -hmm. just this young boy into Mm -hmm. uh, later life. So the historical context for the emergence of the Red Book uh, uh, that Sonu points to, I think makes a lot of sense, was one, the general... Uh, cultural moment in which yeah. that was happening around um, all the uh, the changes in the world and the uh, intimation of some sort of larger um, change in the culture um, the differentiations between literature and science and uh, psychology and medicine but all those sorts of things were not quite as established in as the they mm-hmm. are now so there's a certain kind of fluidity. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, yeah, the psychologists or the scientists, and you know, were experimenting on lots of different things, from seances to parapsychology to right. automatic writing and so forth. So right. Jung was in that period of time, and um,
0: the spiritualist movement the spiritualist was movement big in that, that, time. At that
1: particular time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, his doctoral dissertation included some work they had done uh, with uh, his uh, his cousin, and there was mm-hmm. a bit of seances and. Uh, um, Dissociation involved in that, and so forth. So he brings all of that to uh, his uh, relationship to Freud, which uh, uh, started in the early uh, 1900s. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, to get to Freud in in any sort of full way, we have to remember that Jung came to Freud out of his... um, disenchantment not just with uh, Christianity, but uh, failure of his father, mm-hmm. he thought, to carry a certain kind of aliveness into his uh, work with uh, attitude toward religion. Right. So he had come looking to find a figure whom he could form a relationship with and, um, and to, that, to that extent get some support for what he mm-hmm. was trying to get at. Um, and as we know, the um, during that period of time, he uh, began to uh, uh, recognize some differences between he and Freud, right. and um, and then ultimately, uh, the difference led to a split in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Freud broke up the relationship, and this was around 1913. Yeah. And then um, around that particular period of time, Jung was beginning to have... Uh, uh an amount of two visions, and one that's yeah. referred to a lot is the one where he, uh, uh, on a train ride, uh, had a kind of a vision of uh, Europe covered with uh, blood right. and with corpses floating around. And, um, mm. um, and uh, it was during that period, he said, it really led to a time of disorientation and confusion Mm-hmm. uh thinking as he was that he was having uh, menaced by a psychotic uh, yeah. process because uh, you know one of the common uh, delusions that happens during the psychotic early psychotic uh, processes is that the world is coming to an end or there's some right. sort of catastrophe about to happen and or the psychotic person to be ends up feeling that they are, in some way, the savior of that world, and mm-hmm. so forth. So he was he was playing around with materials that, right. that he knew from his work at Berksholtz He had found that to be an aspect of his work with schizophrenic patients, mm-hmm. and now he was experiencing this himself.
0: And, you know, it's interesting to think about having that experience in a world where really the only models for dealing with it are the ones he came from before Jung, and this whole spiritualist... I mean, there wasn't any self-help movement <laughs> you know no. there wasn't any of the stuff that we had we see in our culture so it's really it was I mean I I I you know going through that that process now makes one feel like Jesus am I am I losing my grip on reality yeah but back then it must have really been um, fourfold really because because of the lack of structures in there was no structure for understanding it
1: well, the uh, the structure that was available was one that Jung ultimately was uh, to reject as a basis for understanding, which was uh, this sort of uh, rationalistic, reductionistic uh, right. approach of Freud and uh, the causal uh, orientation of science and so forth. And mm-hmm. uh, that was there as a way to understand, but it, of course, led to uh, one thing about a medical intervention, right. and that is these particular fantasies and reactions were ones that needed to be suppressed or Mm -hmm. gotten rid of or not not, uh, taken up. So Jung, in his break with Freud and beginning to have these visions and dreams and all about the change in the culture itself, uh, began to move um, away from um, uh, a kind of a certainty. I think at one point he said, you know, I have obtained uh, all the things that one attains in this world uh, and wants... uh, prestige, and power, and money, and recognition, and so forth, but I've lost my soul. And it was um, really the recognition that he had lost something in the acquiring of what he had acquired Mm -hmm. that generated the emotional context for him to take up the process of trying to find his soul. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he did resign from his university position, and from the president of the International Psychoanalytic Association, Uh, his professorship and that that kind of thing, and sort of withdrew into uh, this sort of engagement with his psyche. So Mm -hmm. that was the beginning of what he was to call um, the great experiment or the confrontation with the unconscious. Mm -hmm. And It's it's at that period and during that particular period of time that uh, uh, the Red Book begins to take some particular Mm -hmm. shape. He begins to... um, uh, to write and uh, to record his dreams his fantasies and what was then a black book yeah. and then later on he was to transfer them to uh, another bound uh, red book uh, along with uh, the images and and um, paintings and so right. forth and he was in that process for approximately 16 years uh, when he uh, uh, got a uh, a uh, book from his uh, uh, colleague, uh, friend Richard Wilhelm, who had um, uh, introduced the, uh, the *Secret of the Golden Flower* uh-huh. to the to him, and uh, it was in reading that book that Jung felt some sort of uh, recognition mm-hmm. that uh, he was not alone, and right. recognizing that there was a dimension of psychic life that was beyond the. Uh, rationalistic sort of world with which he could uh, use as a basis mm-hmm. for understanding his own work on himself. You know,
0: I wonder how how the, the whole course of Western psychology would have changed if he had found the secret of the golden flower before or in the beginning parts of doing his whole great experiment. I mean, that must have been tremendous confirmation that yeah. there exists this whole realm of states of consciousness and... You know, I mean, we're getting into Tibetan Buddhism, basically. Yeah. This kind of. But um, let's talk some about active imagination because yeah. you mentioned that as, as the, as the vehicle through which Jung ex, um, experienced and explored his own images and uh-huh. and 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 I, and I don't have a clear understanding of what that is and how that. Uh, is different than sort of dream reentry, for instance, which is a you know dream work technique that's uh, fairly well known now, a, a, or trance work or some sort of meditation. How do you frame work with active imagination?
1: Yeah, I think to uh, uh, to get back to uh, Jung's um, uh, situation uh, where active imagination became a response on his part to this uh, this sort of um, crisis that he was in. And the crisis, put simply, was uh, how do I relate uh, to this uh, overwhelming, disturbing, powerful uh, images and emotional things that are coming up for me? And uh, he he knew that uh, one way of relating to it all was really uh, to um, uh, to reassert rationality. Uh, to allow Freud and to sort of repress it and uh, make it uh, uh, make sense in some way that he could get on top of it uh, intellectually but he was aware that he was moving away from that himself Mm -hmm. and um, so uh, he began to write down his dreams and his uh, fantasies and his uh, uh, feelings and um, then Begin to establish some sort of relationship with them, and that relationship was one where he uh, uh, knew that primarily he, uh, to establish such a relationship, he really had to uh, uh, reduce his critical intellectual mind and make room for the unconscious dimension to have a say mm-hmm. on its own, uh, and um, at the same time not abandon his. his his ego. And um, so, uh, right away, he privileged or made uh, available uh, two aspects of the psyche, one known and one unknown, Mm -hmm. and uh, began to uh, generate uh, a dialogue between the two. And um, the the way that he talked about this uh, dialogue was one in which uh, Uh, If the two parts, the conscious part and the unconscious part, in the the case of the unconscious part, for him, there were all these, uh, the Red Book is just uh, um, full of uh, figures and images uh, um, from mythology and from the Bible, snakes, uh, Salome, Elijah, these are all names that belong to various kinds of literary, and biblical, and religious tradition. Um, they became personifications of uh, some of the strong, affective processes that he was feeling and experiences, mm-hmm. and he took it upon himself to take a position as a, as a, as a man and an ego to be, then begin to have a conversation mm-hmm. with these particular figures. So active imagination was a, the process that he eventually called uh, a more basic process that, that was going on uh-huh. during that particular Dialogue, and that was uh, something he called the Transcendent Function. Okay. The, um, during this earlier period of his work and the Red Book, uh, uh, three uh, papers, uh, important works came out. Uh, one was uh, Seven Sermons of the Dead, uh-huh. Uh, the um, transcendent function, and the um, uh, symbols and transformation of the libido. Uh-huh. Now, all of those came out during the period that he was working on, uh, doing the active imagination, right. and they all have something to do with the autonomy of the psyche. So, the word the autonomy of the psyche, the uh, is a way to talk about the. Uh, the unconscious dimension of psychological life is having its own life. Uh-huh. The ego has its own life, the psyche, unconscious dimension of psyche has its own life. And the mm-hmm. question is, how does a conscious being relate to the unknown that represents itself in um, uh, energies, or visions, or dreams, or symbols, and that sort of thing? So, the... Um, autonomy of the psyche, the reality of the psyche were all terms that began to come into his work in active imagination. Right. The term transcendent function was this way of trying to describe a process that naturally occurs within the psyche that integrates unconscious and conscious processes into a third thing. Uh-huh. And that third thing he ultimately began to recognize as the, the role of the symbol. And the symbol became an integrating uh, concept or attitude toward um, the conjoined dimension of a, of a uh, conscious and unconscious dimension of life. So the active imagination sets up a context in which the critical dimension of the conscious ego is reduced so that there's room for the unconscious dimension to appear. And one waits, or one may have a dream image... Uh, and something emerges that one begins to have a conversation with mm-hmm. I- internally. And then uh, in that conversation, it's important, most people sort of jump over this part, but the, the autonomy dimension means that the unconscious dimension, the figure, or has its own voice. So it's not uh-huh. that you're projecting something into right. it and you're speaking to yourself.
0: Right. That oh, darn, because that's so easy. <laughs>
1: well, yes. Uh, if you want to talk to yourself, then I do that all the time, especially when I'm alone or sometimes walking in the woods or, you know, or listening to music, you know, I'm singing. Or, but no, it's really you want the unconscious to have its own voice. Mm-hmm. So, so that you actually, it's sort of like, um, uh, as Philemon says to Jung, he's was talking about the objectivity of to uh, to think that you're in control of your own thoughts, it's so like walking into a room of people and thinking that you created them. Right. Okay, so, well, if I didn't create these thoughts, right. I didn't create these people, I didn't create this image, then who did, who does? Right. So, well, we want to get at the who did and who does and right. what it has in mind, for me, the mm-hmm. other who's having a conversation with it. So the conversation begins, the dialogue begins, uh, and it moves backwards and forth until a third position is established. Mm-hmm. And that Tend to be a kind of a symbolic position okay. that integrates the two parts, and um, you know, so it sort of goes into that fair amount of depth that that yeah. kind of dialogue, that kind of backwards and forth, really leads ultimately to the expansion of consciousness. Right, and the the capacity to develop a symbolic attitude is one of the ways that the psyche continues to grow throughout life. So. Um, This was not a time-limited process because of the active imagination. In fact, at one point, uh, he refers to uh, uh, the dialogue as a long meditation, Mm. or the long meditation, the interminable meditation. That is to say, once one begins this process of active imagination, uh, it's uh, understood to be uh, a process that goes on for the rest of one's life. So initially, the analyst, in Jung's term, would carry the third function, uh-huh. the function of the other, right. the autonomous other. Right. At some point, you want the patient to take that up for themselves, so mm-hmm. the other becomes the unconscious right. psyche, and at that point, the analyst becomes someone else who's helping to hold those two things. With the patient. Yeah. In
0: the bleachers. In the bleachers. Cheering. So we're cheering it
1: on. <laughs> okay. You just had that wonderful image six years ago or three years yeah. ago. And I wonder what happened to exactly. it. And said, that, Well, I just thought it was of no, no use. And so I just dropped it and yeah. so forth and so on. Yeah. But no, let's go back to it and take a look at what you've nice. done to it and what it wants yeah. to say about about that.
0: So I love this idea. And I have a question about the, the whole... Uh, um, Active imagination, so you have to sort of um, corral the ego, the waking awareness, so that the unconscious can really have the space to to have its own words and its own, you know... Own so you to... can Own reactions. And you talk about the transcendent function, but that's not the third thing. The transcendent function is something that happens. It's sort of what happens in that space with both waking and unconscious awareness kind of... Activated that creates this third thing which is sort of a, a symbol of some sort. Did I get that basically right? Yeah, the
1: transcendent function is uh, the, um, you could say the psychic dynamism, an expression of what kind of a psychic dynamism that mm. can happen, for, uh, but it requires a certain kind of awareness of a distinction
0: yeah.
1: internally between an unconscious dimension and a conscious dimension. The psyche compensates all the time. It's part of this self-regulating mm-hmm. aspect of a human being. It's a little like the blood pressure or right. temperature or those sorts of things at the body mm-hmm. level. The psyche does its own thing uh, in relationship to conscious and unconscious. I always backwards and forth. To, to make that dynamic conscious
0: yeah.
1: is to participate in it. And then one sees that there's something happening as a transcendent, There's some sort of natural process that's happening mm-hmm. that one can begin to take make use of. right? And that making use of it uh, means, ultimately, that you're turning it into, uh, allowing it to become a symbolic expression mm-hmm. of two different kinds of attitude. And mm-hmm. I could go into a specific kind of dream or something that would help to ground that. Uh, but the point, I want to make a, another point about it, is that the... Um, uh, the transcendence function, the active imagination, and so forth and so on, um, was uh, Jung's method of trying to find a container for his own disorientation and yeah. his disturbance. From the typical classical psychoanalytic point of view, to make room for fantasies, to allow them to be real, was problematic. Mm-hmm. Because the patient was in danger of being overwhelmed or feeling confused or conflating so many things that are happening psychologically that 12 you and, right. and, and right. Jung does identify those particular dangers mm-hmm. in his paper on the uh, Transcendent function which is we introduce active imagination okay. yeah the, the, the one of another step beyond this symbolic thing is that uh, Jung was aware that a lot of us uh, needed to make it real uh-huh. this symbolic Uh, expression, real. So, painting, it's just images and the drawing, dancing, sculpting, Mm -hmm. um, music, Mm -hmm. there's some way to bring it into the world, Mm -hmm. uh, and um, that um, concretizes it in a way. And the other one that he mentions a lot in relating to all this is that there's an ethical Mm -hmm. moral dimension to all this sort of thing, Mm -hmm. you know, so um, uh, Let's say that you had a uh, a dream in which there was a abandoned child that you notice and you walk right by Mm -hmm. and then at some point you take up Well, who are you and Mm -hmm. how can I be of help and the child said, well you could uh, uh, give uh, more of your attention to uh, the uh, the part of yourself that you have neglected and so forth, and right. so you, you get that sort of communication and at some point you sort of drop it and you go on and you get sick.
0: Uh-huh,
1: right. Well, the uh, it, it's just the psyche gave a response to a question that was not dropped right. and there's an obligation right. to pick it up and, right. and live it. Otherwise, all of this becomes just one giant fantasy.
0: It's sort of the don't ask, don't tell version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just stays in
1: some sort of a, some sort of realm of fantasy, and and suddenly it's. Uh, I mean, why, why, yeah. why masturbate? Right. Uh, if you have more pleasurable ways to do it, and so. Um, so that's it in a, in a yeah. nutshell. There's uh, lots of ways right. that to, uh, the, the big issue for the young around active imagination is how to make the unconscious material available right uh, and we have the dreams we have the fantasies we have all kinds of um, uh, processes that occur
0: yeah.
1: automatically um, but the engagement with them is part of what allows them to become alive as a uh, as a uh, real living
0: other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that and and that is some of what you and Sarah are interested in getting at in your workshop. Is that correct? The sort of engaging with images and symbols in some way.
1: Yes. Uh, the um, The first the first um, workshop that Sarah and I did was uh, to bring active imagination into connection with shamanism. Mm-hmm. Um, the in shamanism there's uh, already a tradition of relating to uh, the Others, the figures right. of the others, except that the shamanic were a lot more structured already mm-hmm. in terms of um, allies and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, Jung saw shamanism as, as, as a um, as a uh, kind of a representation of the individuation process, mm-hmm. which is his term for the development of the person through time yeah. through the use of active imagination. And that there's something shamanic about this. So, um, in my mind, I've not ever made a real distinction between uh, shamanic processes and active imagination. I can make that distinction. There are mm-hmm. lots of ways mm-hmm. we can make that distinction. Mm-hmm. The there is an uh, altered state of consciousness in both processes, as mm-hmm. up in the uh, active imagination the ego stays present. In mm-hmm. shamanism, uh, not necessarily yes, right. so. Um, and um, active imagination, there's rooms for spontaneity. We don't know where things particularly come from. In shamanism, uh, there tend to be a, um, a way that we, let's say, develop a relationship with a power animal or something right. like that. We That becomes our access to right. another way of dealing with an other.
0: Right.
1: So... Um,
0: You've already got your dance card filled up. You have it already
1: <laughs> filled up, and uh, it sort of begins to mean something, yeah, in a concretistic sort of way. In active imagination, you want to keep the space open okay. so that this the uh, other, the unconscious dimension, has something to bring to the, the dance.
0: Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So uh, maybe in the time we have left, which isn't very much, uh, this is uh, you know this whole. The overlay, or I sort of see the, uh, you know, shamanic and the the psychic as this, the Venn diagram, there is an overlap in the two. And we were talking earlier about the secret of the golden flower. And maybe, can you just talk a little bit about how, uh, I mean, what, what does it mean that these symbols are alive? What is that? Like, how alive is alive?
1: How alive? Is is, are alive. they
0: archetypes or are they spirits or well, how do you see that?
1: Well, that's a very interesting question that uh, I think um, gets to um, sort of uh, realms beyond the personal. Yeah. Uh, for instance, um, um, as Jung stayed with this long meditation, this called the long meditation, which is. Another term for continual active imagination through life. Mm-hmm. Um, these figures began to represent, in his mind, um, another kind of dimensions. In other words, we don't know where they, where mm-hmm. they came, came from or come from, but they tend to have their own collectivity, their own tr- transpersonal identity. And they become sort of forces, or uh, energetic fields, and um, they interpenetrate the personal and uh, the transpersonal. Mm-hmm. So Jung was later on to call that realm the psychoid realm, and he mm-hmm. was a way to try to make room for both the matter, the concrete dimension, and the transpersonal dimension mm-hmm. coming together in some sort of over- overlap. And, Terms like psychoid and synchronicity began to emerge. And all of those were ways of um, trying to talk about the emergence into one's personal psychic field of entities and force fields uh, that belong to another dimension, another aspect of time and consciousness, Um, but um, can be really reduced to... um, what we know about our own personal psychology mm-hmm. or the personal dimension. So they, they become something like entities or something like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, what the secret of the golden flower allowed him to recognize was that uh, other traditions had made room, in this case Chinese tradition, Chinese alchemy, for experiences of a non-personal mm. dimension and through which one could experience a connection to a broader uh, universe where things were alive and vibrant and, and so forth. Hmm. So he took that to mean, or, or took that as a uh, confirmation validation that the kind of ways that he would begin to think about his dialogues with these figures yeah. um, had an, another kind of universal validity mm. that he could you can make use of for mm. a kind of support. So as he said, it was not alone. So he went from Chinese alchemy to alchemy in the West, yeah. and uh, there's a lot of things to develop from that that um. point on. Some of this, uh, some of these ideas, of one studies Tibetan Buddhism, one there are demons and gods and deities of all sorts, and there's a lot of uh, Emphasis on visualization, yeah. and the, the visual and mantras and mudras and so forth, mm-hmm. and you can see there's a whole symbolic visionary world right. of forces. Uh, but uh, there's there's no particular thought that these are psychological entities. Mm-hmm. These are actual uh, processes that belong to a certain kind of cosmic experience that one participates in. Mm-hmm. Well the figures that one begins to work with in active imagination have that kind of a process. Mm-hmm. And uh, setting up the right sort of context where these can make their emergence yeah. has a kind of a meditative sort of quality. But uh, one is trying to set up the space where one can actually have the experience of it. Yeah. And uh, it's through having the experience that the, uh, the ego is changing. The person who's having the experience is changed mm-hmm. in the process of uh, living through these these experiences with others. It's mm-hmm. sort of like uh, falling in love with someone and and going a- along for a number of years and you realize you've changed in some uh-huh. way that you didn't know was happening, but there you are. Yeah. You've, you've been interacting with another person. Or one of my favorite little metaphors is uh, from uh, Suzuki Roshi. Someone asked him at one point, well, can you how, how do you know if you're enlightened? How, how do you define enlightenment? And he said, you know, I... Uh, Enlightenment is sort of like walking in a fog. Hmm. And uh, he said, you, you don't know you're wet until you get home.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you do this interaction with these figures and have these kinds of experience. something begins to yeah. happen. Yeah. That's the mystery of being a human being, is right. how change occurs yes. through the encounter yeah. with, uh, as Rilke says, when I Another sort of his wonderful line is that uh, this is how we change through encountering and surrendering mm-hmm. to greater and greater and more powerful forces.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, it, it sounds like you and Sarah are crafting an incredibly rich experience for people in this second workshop. It sounds like maybe this is going to be an ongoing thing every so often. Pick it up from a slightly different viewpoint, and
1: yes, I, I would love that to happen because we're talking about active imagination. There are yeah. so many ways to enter the red book. Of, uh, yeah. for instance, uh, there's a whole cultural dimension. I, when my interest yes. in cultural is cultural complexes, that uh, that Jung was able to um, use uh, his awareness of um, uh, of a dream to. Um, ultimately make a diagnosis about cultural processes, mm. speaks to an, uh, a kind of interconnectedness that would be useful to talk about at some particular point. And uh, yeah. there's also the issue of uh, visions, yeah. which were very, very much a big part of his work, and uh, uh, this. Um, uh, so sort of earlier phases of synchronicity, there's spiritual healing, mm-hmm. uh, what does that mean? There's a uh, relationship of spiritual healing to madness mm-hmm. and making those sort of differentiations. and um, So there are lots of different angles, and right. the active imagination angle is one of multiple yep. ways that we can talk about it, as well as come back to some of the explorations with um, shamanism and and uh, try to, to open that up a bit. And, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I hope to talk to you again sometime about cultural complexes and dreams. That just sounds like a really rich conversation, and so yeah. <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to find a place on your schedule. To get into the office. Yes. Uh, but let's tell people how to get in touch. If you're interested in attending, there's a, a Friday night wor- a lecture and an all day Saturday workshop on Jung's Psycho-Spiritual Crisis and the Emergence of the Red Book. And this is taking place in Santa Rosa on June 8th and 9th. And if you are interested, you can attend either or both sessions. Either or
1: both. The uh, Friday evening is a general overview of the Red Book. It's really opening it up and introducing people to the Red Book, its origin, its history, how to approach it, Mm -hmm. and then also to place in context the confrontation with the unconscious, mm-hmm. which will set the groundwork for Great. speaking uh, to for the Saturday workshop, and we'll have a bunch of slides and um, uh, other kinds of things like that to uh, help people to get a hold of it. And uh, Sarah will participate uh, in showing some of the ways that she's worked and some of the images she's yeah. produced through her own work with the uh, active imagination. Yeah. There'll be other folks who will do some similar Mm. kind of work Mm -hmm. on on Saturday.
0: On Saturday, great. And if people are interested in uh, registering, they can call you, Sam
1: Kimbles. At uh, my office, 707-544-6647, or my um, email, uh, drsamkimbles at gmail.com. No periods in there, just drsamkimbles at
0: gmail.com. Okay, great. Uh, Sam Kimbles, thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, It's been a real pleasure.
1: Thank you, Anne, for having me. It's been uh, great to just sort of uh, reflect and play with all this with you.
0: (laughs) That wraps up another Dream Talk Radio podcast. I'm Anne Hill, and you can find my past shows at dreamtalkradio.net and on iTunes. Be sure and join the Dream Talk Radio Facebook page or follow me on Twitter at Ann Hill to get announcements about future shows. Thanks for listening.